like to invite the young and young at heart to follow Lee Ashbrook over here to Children's Chapel in the Mary Chapel. Meanwhile, let us pray. Oh God, thank you, uh, thank you for making us as we are. Help us to become what we receive from you in your mercy. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <laughs> Off they go. You might not have noticed it. I know I didn't really at the time. But way back in the summer, June 29th to be exact, we began a migration of sorts with Jesus. It started in the ninth chapter of Luke, which was the gospel that day. And it has continued and will continue all the way to the 19th chapter. We're just a few chapters from the end. Commentators on Luke call this the journey to Jerusalem. And it recalls the journey of the Exodus, that long sojourn from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land. And like the Exodus journey, it is indirect, circuitous, and at times seems to be stopped completely because it is not a trip to move bodies from point A to point B. It's a journey to move hearts from lost to found, from scattered to recovenanted with God. Now, in the Exodus journey, God refashions and restores a people in that desert wandering. And in the journey to Jerusalem, Jesus does the same thing. He reminds this mass of followers how to be people of God. Though through parables and healings and heated conversations, through the very act of following and in this journey to Jerusalem, we've learned to love the one who despises you in parables like the Good Samaritan. We've heard the call to listen to Jesus through the examples of Martha and Mary. We were taught to pray the Lord's Prayer. We learned about the kingdom of God and saw 72 commissioned to proclaim that kingdom along the way. There were controversial healings on the Sabbath and lots of teaching about how the disciples should relate to one another. This is not the walk of individuals all happening to go to the same place. It's the walk of a people, and it challenges those individuals to be in communion, like the communion Jesus is in with his Father. Which brings us to today's parable. I want to place it in that context of this long and winding journey of identity because I think it names one of our most devious stumbling blocks as followers of Christ. Our tendency toward division and schism. Hmm. Jesus introduces us to two men at prayer in the temple in Jerusalem one of them is a somewhat overzealous keeper of the law, <laughs> traditionally righteous. 
The other has the socially despised job of tax collector, with its tendency to greed as well as its proximity to Gentiles. And that has classed him as unclean and a sinner. Now, it's really easy to make this story about individual behavior. Self-aggrandizement on one hand, self-deprecation on the other. It could be summarized as, don't brag, be humble. And we could move on, happily judging those who talk about their accomplishments while insisting upon our own unworthiness. But this misses the point. (laughs) And perhaps keeps the problem at hand in place. Because actually, in Jesus' cultural community, the things that the righteous man names are really quite honorable. In fact, he was going above and beyond the requirements of giving to the poor and prayerful fasting. Even including them in prayer isn't really contemptible to God. The psalmists often list their righteous acts unproblematically. Luke sets him up as a pretty upstanding man of Israel. He just has one little problem, one little sin that that he doesn't quite see. And it's not a problem that is just typical of Pharisees. It's a problem that keeps cropping up along the way among the followers of Jesus on their way to Jerusalem. It's also a problem in the early churches that Paul founded and in the communities that the gospel writers were addressing. It is this. The man's sense of his own righteousness, his rightness with God, is tied to his contempt for others. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, even this tax collector over here. So in a word, he goes from deeply righteous to shallowly self-righteous, from humble to arrogant. And this attitude drives a wedge right in the middle of the path to the kingdom of God. And it's still the case today. Thank God we're not like them. This is a prayer upon which churches split, upon which neighborhoods are abandoned or founded, upon which public policy from health care to law enforcement to education is made. This is the prayer upon which borders are set, upon which detention centers are built. This is the prayer upon which whiteness was contrived and race constructed. I thank you, God, we're not like other people. It is a foundational prayer for the society we live in right now. And Jesus is saying that the journey to the kingdom of God requires a different prayer. We lose our claim to right relationship with God the moment we create an other against which to justify ourselves, with which to compare ourselves. And that attitude is so prevalent in our social interactions today, especially among church people that it's probably easier to double our tithe and to start fasting twice a week than it is to resist saying, at least we're not like them. Or our kids don't hang out with those types. 
or our church isn't like that. But Jesus is restoring a people here. One quite consistent with the people of God that God has been shaping since the beginning of creation. The world that God wants is not one filled only with good, pious, religious behavior. Rather, it is a world of right relationship with God and a right relationship among people. Not small, gated, and like-minded, but big, unwieldy, aware of and repentant of its sinfulness, reliant on God's mercy, acknowledging its need for one another, full of people like that tax collector over there. Now, Luke doesn't tell us if the man actually stopped being a tax collector, just that he acknowledges that he's sinful and that he's relying on God's mercy. He is humble. There is a difference between humiliation and humility. Humiliation is something that is thrust upon another, something that brings them low in relationship to the humiliator that shames and that diminishes their sense of dignity, the prayer, thank God I'm not like you, humiliates. Humility, on the other hand, is something we claim, a truth we acknowledge. It is a posture of vulnerability, of receptivity, of the need for relationship with one another, The best humble posture I can think of is gratitude. Now, gratitude has a measure of joy and appreciation of acknowledging that what was received came from somewhere else. Gratitude does not grasp, and it doesn't rely on another to lift itself. It acknowledges the gift of the other, and it bows low. In appreciation. The doors to the kingdom of God swing open on this prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Not because we have to grovel to get in, but we do have to be honest with ourselves and with God. The covenant with God was never about earning ourself into right relationship with God. It's about living in a way that reveals that relationship with God. You don't earn a gift. You don't pay someone back for a gift. That's just rude. You either accept it with gratitude or you turn it down. So on this 10-chapter journey to Jerusalem that we are on together, the question remains, which prayer are we praying? Which kingdom are we hoping will come? Amen.